And welcome into another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. Dan Grassa and Greg Buttle hanging out with you today. We, of course, the pre and post game hosts for the New York Jets on 98.7 ESPN Radio and the Jets Radio Network. Greg, you and I haven't talked since the draft. How are you? Well, so far, the, the good news is, is that I, out of everyone I know, only one person I know had uh, COVID-19. Uh, myself and my family are, are well, as I know that your family is well, Dan. And um, it's time to get out there and, uh, and start, start playing some sports, play some golf, do those things that you get out in the sunlight and have a few laughs. And it provides a great distraction. And I think certainly there's benefits as well overall. I mean, you heard Governor Cuomo this week talk about professional sports and the need for that to get back in New York, even though the Jets, of course, play in New Jersey, but they are still the New York Jets. They fit as part of that theme here. And this is clearly something, a period in our lives that none of us will ever forget for, you know, as long as we're on the planet. I think that's yeah. to be safe. Yeah. And, and don't and don't forget in, in, a, in a little side light of humor. All of those parents this summer that aren't going to be able to send their little chillins to camp <laughs> because <laughs> they're going to be trapped at home with them. Quality time with the family, right? That's what the summer is basically going to have in store for everybody. But what was in store for the Jets here, at least last month, Greg, in the big story, of course, the NFL draft. You and I did one of these podcasts leading up to the draft. We speculated about which direction the team was going to go. And uh, to say that Joe Douglas, uh, was pretty active and certainly put a lot of pieces in play here, not just for 2020, but for the future in his first draft as Jets GM. That would be understating it. Nine draft choices in all for the Jets. They also made a trade on draft day and acquired uh, cornerback Quincy Wilson from the Indianapolis Colts, which we'll get to in a little bit. But right at the top, you know, we speculated beforehand which way were they going to go with that first round pick? Would it have been a wide receiver? Would one of those big four offensive tackles? still be on the board. Jets had their choice of two of those four, and Joe Douglas and his staff opted to go with the big guy, Makai Becton, out of Louisville, 6'7", 364, 11th overall. And if you've watched film on this guy, which I'm sure a lot of Jet fans have, certainly since he climbed the board here with the draft, to say that he's impressive, Greg, uh, I don't think might be selling at all. He really looks the part of a guy who can hold down that left side and protect Sam Darnold's blind side, hopefully for the next decade or so. Well, I, I, one of the things that, that, and again, you and I d- discussed this uh, previously in the podcast, but you know, me, I would, if, if, if my first five choices would have been wide receiver. <laughs> right. But, you love the, you love the explosive plays. Yeah, I do. I do because they, they, they catch touchdowns. No offensive tackle has caught a touchdown in the last 20 years that I know of on purpose, but be that as it may, the one thing that the Jets had in common with their first five draft choices, from my perspective, is mm-hmm. they are all athletes. Every single one of them are, you know, play basketball track. They can do a lot of things. They can jump. They can, they, they can soar. They have speed. They have quick. They have all of those things that you need to be a good athlete. Therefore, that being said, now you can really coach an athlete because athletes somehow are able to, to transition and understand that there are a lot of ways to play one position. And when you get into the pros, you're going to be you're going to be given an opportunity to do it your way, the best way you could do it. And and those guys, Beckton, Mims, uh, Davis, and Zaniga, those are all really really good athletes. So that's what I really like about. 
the first four guys they drafted. I think you're absolutely right, because if you listen to Joe Douglas and the scouts talk about each one of these selections after the draft was made, you know, what drew you to them? Why were they the guy for you? What was the term that they mentioned really with all these guys? versatile versatility and like you just said they're athletes they can do different things you know it gives the coaching staff whether it's Adam Gase on the offensive side Greg Williams on the defensive side it allows their minds to be creative and put them in positions to make plays and you know if we just keep it to Beckton here for a second you talk about athletes yeah he played basketball he ran a 5-140 at the combine for a guy as big as he is that's pretty darn impressive. I loved Rex Hogan's quote about Makai Becton, Greg, when he said he moves people like furniture. And if you watch the tape, that holds true. Right, so he was one of them, what, college hunks or something? What, is that what he is now? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, you know what? And, and another thing, too, that, that um, like, like, like Becton reminds me of is that uh, back in the day when the Jets drafted Marvin Powell and, mm-hmm. and we, we all made yours. Our, Right. We all have to understand. And, and Joe Douglas no, is not going to be graded on the draft yet. He'll be graded in this draft in a year or two. It depends mm-hmm. on how many of those guys start, how many stay healthy and how well they play, uh, how well they can transition. And, and, and that I'm just saying. But I remember when they drafted Marvin Powell out of USC, he came in and I will tell you something. I don't think Marvin Powell lifted a weight w- when he was in college. And and so my thing is, is that. You had a guy, Marvin Powell, that they drafted number one as an offensive tackle, and the jury was out on him until he got on the field. And all of a sudden, from day one, Danny, day one, the guy could play. And every player that is on a football team, a veteran I'm talking about, every player, that's the, that is the barometer. That is the post. That's where you look at, can these kids play? Because you don't care what position they're coming in. Can they play? And I remember Marvin Pally came in, and boy, he could play. Right away, he made a difference. And you take another guy, and this is, this is why Joe Douglas, I, I think, is one of those general managers that they, they use versatility now, but in the old days it was called athleticism. <clears throat> and, and, and take guys that you can look at and say, I think he can do this, and by the way, if he can, I can put him over here and do that. And that was Dan Alexander, offensive guard for the Jets. Dan Alexander came in, uh, I think it's 1977. He was drafted out of LSU. As a defensive tackle, he was drafted, knowing that they wanted to make him an offensive tackle. No, offensive guard. He comes in there, and in, and I will tell you, in less than a year, the guy, because of athletic ability, was able to transition from playing defensive tackle at LSU to becoming a starting offensive guard in the NFL his first year and played 13 years at that position. Those are the type of guys that I think Joe Douglas has drafted in this draft. Looking forward, no one will know that Mm -hmm. for another two or three years, but I believe that's what he drafted in those first four guys. Well, I think the Jets would be more than pleased if they get the same type of production from their draft choices. If you just want to keep it on the offensive line, think about the home run they hit back in 2006 where you had DeBrickashaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold as first-round draft choices. They held the fort down for about a decade and performed at an extremely high level, and the Jets hoping that they get that same production from these guys. Joe wasn't done, though, with the offensive line. He picked Cameron Clark, a tackle out of Charlotte in round number four. Another versatile player, could play inside, could play outside on that offensive line. And, uh, you know, 
a lot of these players, too, aside from them being versatile, Greg, and having the athleticism, you know, Joe Douglas stressed character. He hears him, you hear him talk about that a lot. A lot of these guys were team captains, and I don't think that that's any sort of coincidence because if you show that leadership even at the collegiate level, you hope that that's eventually going to present itself and hold true once you get to the NFL. And that's also something that I think stood out with a lot of these draft choices. Yeah, I like it. And and and, and let's just back up a second because mm-hmm. you know again, and 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 I looking at this from from a different speckled uh, pair of glasses uh, looks at something that I say, Douglas. I believe the best part of what he's done so far was his off-season acquisitions of the free agent market, especially along the offensive line. You know, he goes out there and he gets George Fant, he gets uh, uh, McGovern, he gets Van Rotten. I mean, you could do a lot with this offensive line now, where last year you looked at it and go, what are they going to do with this line? Well, he's just, he's transformed the offensive line. Just like he said he would, right? Absolutely. And I will tell you something, there's no reason to think that this offensive line, outside of injuries, can't play immediately and play pretty well. And the depth is there, too, because, look, you're not going to make it through a full season, you know, playing each and every game, each and every snap. Injuries do happen. It's a physical game. So if some guy were to go down, you have those pieces in place to be able to step right in and hopefully not suffer any sort of drop off there. I know you love the wide receivers. You mentioned them earlier. Second round. Joe Douglas and the Jets, they address the wide receiver position or they address the wide receiver position and take Denzel Mims out of Baylor and actually traded back in round number two to get him. They were sitting at 48th. They dropped down to 59th and still got themselves a playmaker in Denzel Mims. 6'3", 207. He's big. He's physical. A little bit raw. But I'll tell you, he's a guy, Greg, that at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, And at the Combine, this is a guy who really opened some eyes, and the Jets hope that the ceiling is extremely high for this one because he's going to be expected early on to step in and be a contributor on this offense. Well, I I think one of the best things is that because they traded down, did they not get the 68th pick in the third round? Correct. Right. So they were able to pick up uh, 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 two two guys in the third round, but Denzel Mims to me is, the, and the one thing I look at, and you, you, you know what I, I, I look at, I like feet, I like quickness, and I like hands. If, if you're a wide receiver and you're, you've got quickness off the ball so that you can't be jammed all the time, and you've got good feet so that you, you, the corners have to be pushed down on a break, and you catch the ball in your hands every single time, that to me is a guy. I don't care if he runs a 4-140 or a 4-640. Those guys can get open and those guys can catch a ball. Shall I say Wayne Corbett? I'm, I'm sure. Just I'm just saying. But this kid has some speed and he has his hands and he's got a chip on his shoulder from everything that I read. So I, I, I love it when you, when you can get a guy like that that really wants to jump in and work and doesn't, doesn't look around like he's intimidated by anything, yet he's still – is humble enough to understand that he has to work hard. And he comes from the Big 12, where let's be honest, you know, the Big 12 conference is not necessarily known for defense, right? It's a track meet. You know, you see points flying up on that scoreboard constantly. But at the Senior Bowl, you know, he proved that he could beat press coverage. When things got physical, when the corners locked in and whatnot, he proved that he can win that battle at the line of scrimmage, which you want to have wide receivers do. And as we said, a lot's going to be expected from Denzel Mims early on. You mentioned the 68th overall pick. Ashton Davis 
a safety out of Cal in the third round, the first of their third round selections. A lot of people will tell you the Jets got a steal finding Ashton Davis in the third round, Greg, because he didn't really take part at the combine as far as the running because he had a groin injury that he was still working his way back from on the field. But Ashton Davis fits the profile of a Swiss Army knife. He returns kicks. You play him at safety. You play him at corner. You could even blitz him off the edge. The guy does everything on the field, another high-character player. And I think that Greg Williams is licking his chops about the different ways he could be used on his defense. Well, certainly because uh, – <clears throat> When you when you take a look at um, the, the the way uh, they've used their safeties after the second or third or fourth game, and that is that is blitz and safeties. I mean uh, Jamal Adams. I mean how many sacks did he have and uh, sure. tackles behind the line of scrimmage? And a lot of them were uh, maybe he came clean, but there were a couple where he he was hit and then he still made the play uh, coming around the blocker, but. You know that if you can have that, and you just saying, you could play man under so much when you have athletes like that in the secondary. And I can see Ashton Davis playing deep, deep center, and and also having Adams Blitz, and maybe even Marcus May. I mean, mm-hmm. now today it's all about uh, uh, situation substitution, and there's a lot of times where you need to have these big guys playing some of these tight ends. And right now you got you got a safety that, that are all six one or two hundred pounds. You know, give him a year, he might be two ten, two twenty, and fast and athletic. You got to love those guys. Absolutely. Next two picks, Jets decided to go down to Gainesville in the swamp and pluck the University of Florida. They take Jabari Zuniga, defensive end, in the third round, Greg. And then in the fourth round, they flip it over to the offensive side of the ball and get Lamichael Pirine a running back from the Gators. We'll start with Zuniga here. Look, Jets have been looking for an edge rusher here for a while. Zuniga's going to get an opportunity here. He only played six games last year because of an ankle injury. Maybe would have gone a little bit higher in the draft if he had left after the year, the previous season where he was a little bit more productive. But either way, he said in a conference call with the media that he feels the Jets got the steal of the draft and the Jets are hoping that they can get that production. Well, I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, say they didn't uh, get the steal of the draft. But if you don't believe that as a player, no matter what position you're drafted in and what 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 round and what number, then there's something wrong with you. That's number one. But this kid at six three two sixty five, he's got an ability to the edge. He's fast. You know, there's a lot of things that you can talk about these guys. And for instance. If he's playing injured, which I believe he was playing injured for the last two years of his career in college, that they have all of these things that they break him down. They go like, for instance, one of the uh, uh, critiques on him was he gets driven off the spot Mm -hmm. by power. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That is the most innocuous look at a player because that's not how you're going to play it in the NFL. You're not the number one thing he's he will he should not do if I'm coaching this kid is touch anybody unless he's going to he's rushing the passer. Then you got to get your hands on those offensive linemen first. But if it's not, you're sliding here, you're sliding there, you're running here, you're running there. Last thing you're doing other than on goal line is jamming a hole up. Michael P. Ryan, the running back. From the University of Florida. He's another guy who was a team captain. He's a physical runner, can run between the tackles, can also catch it out of the backfield, which is almost something that's a necessity now for the running back position. 
He's going to have a chance to come in and learn this year, not just from Le'Veon Bell, but we should also mention Frank Gore was also signed by the Jets after the draft. Frank Gore certainly doesn't lack experience. We know that. Greg, I think he was in your draft class, as a matter of fact. 16 years in the National Football League. He's proven to be durable. Adam Gase knows him from his time with the Miami Dolphins. So if you're the Michael Pirine coming into the NFL, those are not bad two guys to learn from in Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore. Well, let me just say it in my words. That's about the right position to draft a running back as far as I'm concerned. A guy that gets drafted down low, that there's not much expected of this kid. He can come in there, he can learn a little, and you don't have to overpay a running back to do anything because you know, I think they're all overestimated of what their, their, their worth is to a football team. But they are very, very useful when you have a system that enables the quarterback to use everything on there. As, as, uh, as Brady did in New England, it gave them a horizontal passing game that was almost impossible to stop instead of vertical. Kansas City is more vertical. And what happens is, is, is uh, Mahomes is able to buy time by running out of the pocket. But if you have a drop-back quarterback, you need to have all of this horizontal stuff going on and one or two guys vertical. And I think th- this kid can fit that, that, that drill. I don't know how tough he's going to be. I don't know if he's going to fumble the ball. I don't know any of those things until you see him play in the NFL. But you do know two things. You know what you got with Le'Veon Bell, and you know what you got with Frank Gore. So you can figure out what you have with this kid over the next year or two and throw them on special teams and let them learn how to play in the NFL. No doubt. This is, again, the New York Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. Dan Gross and Greg Buttle hanging out with you here today. Three picks that we haven't touched on. James Morgan, the quarterback from FIU, goes in the fourth round. Jets have not won a football game that Sam Darnold has not played in over the last two years, Greg. They're 0-6 when number 14 has been sidelined. They also took Bryce Hall, a cornerback out of Virginia in the fifth round, who suffered a nasty ankle injury, which limited his season last year. But another guy with a lot of upside and might have been an earlier draft choice, if not for the injury. And then they decide to go the special teams route with that sixth-round pick, Greg. Braden Mann who was generally considered the best punter in college. They get him out of Texas A&M. He's also a kickoff specialist. So man, Bryce Hall, and James Morgan, the last three of Joe Douglas's first draft class. I, I, uh, I, I don't have much to, to say about anything other than um, you, you would expect that a punter in this league has to have a hang time of 4.6 seconds or more to be to be thought of as a, a, a an all pro big time punter, and doesn't matter if he if his average is uh, forty six yards a punt, but it's the hang time that matters. And if you can get that ball up there and hang it, man, that is that's field changing. And I think that's a big reason why they got the kid. So overall, that is the Jet draft class. We also mentioned they do make the trade with the Colts, bringing in Quincy Wilson, a corner who Rex Hogan, the assistant GM, knows from his time in Indianapolis, has starting experience. So just another guy to add some depth to that secondary. Now, we know pretty much the roster makeup. Now, we can't wait to see them on the field. And the NFL schedule was released, Greg. And for the second year in a row, and for the third time in the last four years, the week one opponent is going to be the Buffalo Bills. This time, it's going to be up in Orchard Park. So 
Tackling a division foe right out of the gates, it gives you a little bit of a gauge as to where you are. I kind of like it. Well, I, you know, it's, it's, always, it's always neat uh, because you don't have to have that much preparation for a team that you've played twice a year. But certainly it's, it's, a, it's a division rival. You can't lose those games. The one thing that I look at in the Jets' schedule is that uh, week four is their Thursday night football and week nine is their Monday night football. Mm-hmm. But after those two things, they're, they, they're not on national TV, but they do have a lot of four o'clock games because of their travel stuff. Yeah, last year we really didn't have many four o'clock games. And now this season we're going to get probably at least five of them because that game against the Rams, which is either going to be a Saturday or a Sunday late in the season. You know, if the game is in L.A., it's not going to be any earlier than four o'clock Eastern time. So, yeah, there's going to be that late afternoon window where the Jets are going to be kicking off this year. If you are a big believer in strength of schedule, which to me leaves a lot to be desired, but we'll throw it out there just for the sake of being certainly all-encompassing. Jets have the second toughest schedule in the NFL according to winning percentage. The winning percentage is from last year. But again, we look at the schedule now, and a game that might look daunting when the date arrives might not look too difficult because that team might be having a down year, and it works the other way. A game that you might think is a layup Turns out to be a difficult game because that team could be having a good season. But Jets certainly are going to be challenged here based on some of the opponents. They're going to play both teams that were in the Super Bowl last year, Greg. Yeah, you know, and, and again, the, everything is everything is different this year. Not, not that those teams aren't good football teams because certainly the Rams were in the Super Bowl the year before. But it, and, and the Patriots, are, are they going to be the same Patriots as before? I don't know. But when you come down to the schedule, I, I think one of the big things is, it, um, again, let's just assume that the Jets do stay healthy. And let's just assume that the AFC East is competitive between all four teams. So what does it all come down to? The last four games of the season. In the last four games of the season, the Jets are on the road three out of four times. Mm-hmm. That's not easy that late in the season. It's not easy to do that, especially you're in Seattle, you're, you're at the Rams, you're home against Cleveland, and you're at New England the last game of the year. So to me, I, those, December, those December games are going to be very, very tough. Yeah, seems like Cleveland's become a division opponent. It seems to play them each and every year now. It's crazy the way that's kind of worked out. But you mentioned the back-to-back games at Seattle, at the Rams. Jets will in all likelihood stay out on the West Coast, you know, in between. They kind of asked the NFL if that could be the case because of all these West Coast trips. Remember, they go play the Chargers earlier in the season, too, out on the left coast. So they're going to be certainly very familiar with that part of the country here. And, you know, how about what was kind of odd? Back-to-back games against the Miami Dolphins, weeks 10 and 12 with the bye week sandwiched between there and week 11. So back-to-back games against the Fish. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of weird. I think it happened uh, during my career one time. But it's, you know, those type of things where you, you sit around there and, you know, you could get your, your, your rear ends waxed one week and then in two weeks you come back and you, you beat them. Uh, so it's a really weird thing. It doesn't mean anything other than preparation. And so now they're, they're, at, they're, they're at the Dolphins on November 15th, and then they, don't co- they come home on the 29th. So they're, they got a two-week bye to either lick their wounds or improve of what they did in the first game, 
And certainly, absolutely coach yourselves to say, okay, what did we do to Miami that we beat them? And what can we coach in, in introspection to say, we're not going to play the same game we did because if we do, we're, we're going to be, we're, we're going to be mincemeat. How do you change? Unless you're a football team that is a Super Bowl caliber team, you know what you're getting. But that's the, that's the thing to me in the, those two weeks. Because both teams aren't Super Bowl caliber teams coming off of last year's schedule or last year's competition. What is it going to be in week 14, or, or, or I'm sorry, week 10 to week 12? Are the Jets going to be at the top of their division? Are they going to be so-so? I mean, that's 10 games. You, you almost have to be 6-4 and four or 7-3 and three by that time. 5-5. Five and five, you look at it and go with the last four games, you got three on the road. That's a tough schedule. So the Jets have to make hay in those first 10 games with the, with the remaining six games left. And the two dates against the now Tom Brady-less New England Patriots. You mentioned week nine, Monday Night Football, back at home against the Pats. And chance for the Jets to get revenge. We know how poorly the Monday night game against New England went last year. So a chance to atone for that one. And then they'll close out the season in Foxborough against Bill Belichick's team. So that is the schedule. Can't get here soon enough as far as I'm concerned. I think that you would probably also echo those thoughts, Greg. And as far as the NFL calendar is concerned, the offseason program continues. Next up is training camp at the end of July. We hope it'll be somewhere near a normal training camp with the players on the field at Florham Park and whatnot. And, you know, maybe we get a chance to actually visit practice, but a lot can happen between now and then, of course, in terms of where we are with our health situation and the pandemic and whatnot. But I want to take this time, as always, to thank everybody for tuning in and stay safe and stay healthy out there, Greg. And we appreciate your time, as always, on the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. You know, you just can't wait for football to start up again. It's, it's unbelievable. For Greg Buttle, I'm Dan Grosso. We'll talk to you again on the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services.